0: Dave. good morning everyone. Um, can I just say, in response to Dave there, but actually Baby, Baby by Amy Grant is an absolute banger of a tune, right? And it encourages all to go and listen to it, right? Um, so yeah, we're, we're going to read Psalm 10 this morning and really cheer ourselves up, um, as you'll soon see. But I need your help to begin with, right? We're going to read it together and hopefully this will work, right? I've color coordinated it. Okay, so there's, there's, there's green, red, and blue, right? The green is kind of like the complaint of the powerlessness. Par power, people without power, right? The red is the words of the wicked, and the blue is the prayers. Here, here's what's gonna happen. Anyone within the pillars, right? You're gonna be green and read the green bit, right? Everyone to this side of the door, okay, behind the pillars, you're gonna be the red bit. And anyone to this side behind the pillars, you're gonna be the blue bit. Does that make sense? So about 40% assurance there, right? Okay, well, let's go. So green is here, right? Okay, so this is Psalm 10. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak, who are caught in the schemes he devises. He boasts about the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. His ways are always prosperous. Your laws are rejected by him. He sneers at all his enemies. He says to himself, nothing will ever shake me. No one will ever do me harm. Back to green. His mouth is full of lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. He lies in wait near the villages. From ambush, he murders the innocent. His eyes watch in secret for his victims. Like a lion in cover, he lies in wait. He lies in wait to catch the helpless. He catches the helpless and drags them off in his net. His victims are crushed. They collapse. They fall under his strength. He says to himself... God will never notice, he covers his face and never sees. Rise up, Lord, lift up your hand, O God, do not forget the helpless. Why does the wicked man revile God? He says to himself, God won't call me to account. But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted, you consider their grief and take it in hand the victims commit themselves to you you are the helper of the fatherless break the arm of a wicked man call the evildoer to account for his wickedness that would not otherwise be found out the lord is king forever and ever the nations will perish from his land you lord hear the desire of the afflicted you encourage them and you listen to their cry Defending the fatherless and the oppressed, so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. Okay, thank you. Round of applause to yourselves for that. <laughs> Apart from, I feel the Reds were really unconvinced about uh, playing the part of the wicked, but that's okay. Um, this one: have you ever had high expectations for something, uh, but the reality has been disappointing? Okay, so I got some examples, right? So expectation versus reality. Okay, Um, or versus someone bought vest costume. And this is what they received. All right. <laughs> Expectation versus reality. Most notoriously in recent times, we have the Fire Festival, which I'm sure some of you have seen that documentary. It was advertised as the world's best in art, music, and adventure. And it was certainly an adventure, it was basically a catastrophe. Expectation versus reality. A big part of this psalm is the gap between our expectations and our experiences an interesting thing at the start that helps us to understand this psalm psalm 10 is that originally psalms 9 and 10 were one psalm in fact for an acrostic poem do you remember doing those in primary school like you had to work through the alphabet from a to z so, so this poem works through the hebrew alphabet in alphabetical order and it joins this pattern joins psalm 9 and 10 And that these Psalms are joined or were joined together is important. As Psalm 9 tells us the identity of the wicked evildoers who are being described and prayed against in Psalm 10. This isn't just one bad apple. The culprit, the wicked, are the powerful nations who oppress the weak for their own gain. Now Psalm 9, if you read through it later, it's actually familiar comfortable territory in the psalms. It starts with praise and a focus on all the good things God has done in the past. But there's also a hint in Psalm 9 that this isn't an ordinary prayer psalm because the promise of praise is qualified. It's not, I will praise you, Lord, whatever my circumstances. It is, I will praise you, Lord, when you show up and act. And I don't know about you, but I find that pretty shocking to find an ultimatum in the Bible, okay? Someone praying, God, I will do this if you do that. But this just goes to show us the honesty of the Psalms. There's no point pretending. If we're able to praise him when we're down in the pit, that's amazing. But if we're not, if we're frustrated and angry, there's no good in hiding that. The Psalms teach us to stay raw and true, to work through our experiences and feelings by putting them to God in our own words. You see, there's a big difference uh, between saying glibly over a cup of coffee with a couple of mates, you know, I, I don't know if I believe in God anymore, and praying with earnestness to God God, I'm struggling to believe in your goodness and power because of what I'm going through. In fact, I'm properly angry and full of doubt and frustration. A big difference between prayer directed to God and just um, glib phrases. And in that vein of prayerful full disclosure, Psalm 10 starts with an accusation against God. It says this, Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? God is being accused of standing far off, of refusing to act like how he's supposed to, of refusing to do what he had done in the past. The expectation is different from the reality. So the expectation of the powerless is different from the reality. But there's also something else troubling in this, Sam if this is the prayer of the powerless against the powerful nations of the world, in this psalm, I am the one being prayed against. I'm the one being prayed against. You see, all my life, I have benefited from the power and resources of my nation. So the reality of this person praying this psalm is very far removed from the reality of me reading it. And you see, if you're following Jesus this morning, you're a citizen of heaven, but you're still a citizen of down here. So it's on us, Jesus' representatives, his hands and feet, to pay really close attention to our down here. What is this world that I've been born into? What's taken for granted around here that I'm soaking up uh, soaking up into myself without even thinking about it? You see, we live in a non-religious culture that doesn't depend on God, that sees God as an optional extra, that tells us that we're free to choose our own best life with the trade-off being there's no big truth outside ourselves, no big purpose behind everything. And as much as we're trying to be followers of Jesus, okay, in this cultural moment, that stuff is in our bones too. And I'm not saying we're worse or better people for that. I'm just saying this is our reality. This is our reality in contrast to the reality of the prayer of this psalm. So the first thing this psalm is telling me is to acknowledge the culture of the place I live, to admit that a lot of it has gotten inside me, and to work out what it looks like to follow Jesus in the midst of that. And that's what we've got to do first, But when we want to figure out how we stand in relation to the powerless prayer of this psalm. So the wicked speak three times in Psalm 10. They say this, Nothing will ever shake me. No one will ever do me harm. Secondly, we say, God will never notice. He covers his face and never sees. And thirdly, we say, God won't call me to account. You see, when God seems far off, tiny and blurry, out there in the distance, it's easy for the powerful to get bold. And the truth is our culture intentionally keeps God far off, behind the curtain, off the stage left. In the 17th century in Europe, there there were a series of terrible religious wars, and the response was to build a new society that didn't need God and religion at the center to function. And 300 years since the start of that experiment, we are still taught that the more private our faith is, the more absent from public view, the more tolerant and just and good our world will be. But against that, this psalm says the exact opposite. The prayer of this psalm says, the more absent God is from public view, the more evil there will be. The more out of view the creator is, the more the wicked are going to keep getting away with it. But you see, as carriers of God's presence, we have a moral responsibility to make God known. So the second thing this psalm is calling us to is to be prophets. To be prophets, thorns in people's sides a people who are never done reminding the powerful that they have moral responsibility and that they will, in the end, be held accountable. But you see, to become prophets like that, we need to first let the Holy Spirit interrogate our own hearts to challenge our deepest assumptions and motivations. That's the necessary work to become a prophet in this generation. But it's a work that's as painful as it is necessary. Final thing, this psalm is an invitation to be restless in our prayers for justice. Don't walk away from the fight. And you see, the truth is it's easier to walk away when we're not in the thick of it. Unlike the genuinely powerless, we have choices. And one of those choices is to stop praying, to exchange our frustrated faith for a quiet, uneventful life where we choose our own values and goods. Now, now we won't won't be like the wicked when we do that. We'll make sure no one gets hurt, we'll be conscientious, we'll minimize our collateral damage, try and leave a positive legacy, bring our kids up well, do some volunteer work, leave out our recycling. (laughs) When we're not in the place of powerlessness, this is an easier step to make. Like the minister in the John Updike novel, He's playing golf, gets to the twelfth hole, realizes he doesn't believe in God anymore, then just carries on and finishes his game. But this Sam challenges that, doesn't it? Because even though there's frustration, honesty, rawness, God is still a bedrock. God is behind this prayer, and God is the one being prayed to. Do you know what power loves the most? Predictability, predictability. I started by saying this psalm is about our expectations and our experiences not lining up. But for us, if we're being honest, this psalm actually conforms perfectly with our expectations, doesn't it? That the poor suffer and the powerful win. That's the status quo, isn't it? That's just the way things are. This is our predictable old world. But you see, this psalm doesn't accept this as the true nature of things. Instead, at the heart of this psalm, there is a prayer. Rise up, O God, lift up your hands. Rise up, O God, lift up your hands. It's like shouting for a fighter to make for ring walk. He's saying, bring it on, God. Come out of the battle, fight on our side be with the powerless because that's who we know you are and he is going to keep praying that until God's disruptive restless power smashes the old order of things because this psalmist the person praying this psalm knows that deep down actually this is the true nature of things and when we pray like this we are summoning a God who has already answered that prayer to, arise, to rise up when he raised his own son from the dead. And the truth is, when we stop praying like this, we are doing exactly what the powerful want. We're helping maintain the status quo, the predictability of our world that allows the wicked to get away with it. And I genuine, genuinely believe that without this God, There's no strong basis for good and evil, for justice, for hope. There's no genuinely liberating power that can rattle the cage and stir things up. That's why every Sunday we gather together in church to remember that Jesus is no longer in the tomb. He is not there. He is risen we come to tap into the power, that restless, disruptive resurrection power that is the truth of the God we worship. Every Sunday, we aim the glimpse that strange power that somehow keeps turning this world upside down. I don't know if you, any of you know of situations that would have been totally different except that God showed up in power and did something I was reflecting on this, and I was thinking back to when I was a youth worker, like, like a month ago, right? <laughs> um, back when I was a youth worker, I'm the most, um, I was going to say, the most messed up young person I ever worked with. Um, this was a kid who was involved in drugs and criminality from, like, first year. And by the time he was uh, finally expelled from school, everyone I spoke to about this kid said the course of his life had been set okay? According to the predictability of how our world works, the course of this kid's life had been set. He was either going to end up dead or in prison. That was it. He was either going to be destroyed by his actions or destroy the lives of other people. That was the predictable nature of this world based on what happened to this kid in his childhood, the choices he'd made, his environment, all of that. That's the way his life was going to go. I'm going to say I was in tears this week when I watched the video of this kid getting baptized in England where he's been in rehab for the last year. That's the disruptive, amen. That's the disruptive, restless power of this God. That is the resurrection power that we need to cling on to, that we need to keep praying for. So let's be restless and relentless and real on our prayers for God's justice and for this God to show up because I don't think we have another choice. There is no other choice apart from to give up, to let the status quo win the day and to live our own little boring lives. But that's not what God wants from us. That's not what God wants from his people. He wants to show up to do this new thing. Here's what we're going to do as we close and respond. Um, I'm going to read another translation of this psalm. You don't have to read it this time, thankfully, right? Um, Another translation of this psalm. But I want, if you feel comfortable, I would love you to close your eyes as we do this. As we're praying this, I would love you to do a couple of things. I would love you to... Put yourself in the place of the truly powerless in our world, okay? I want us to stand in solidarity this morning with the people who genuinely have no choices to make in their life, okay? And we're gonna stand with them and we're gonna pray with them using the words of Psalm 10. We're also gonna use this as an opportunity, okay, to rededicate ourselves to this God, to serving his purposes and to uh, praying for his power to come and and to move and make a difference in the world. So we're going to stand in solidarity with the genuinely powerless, and we're going to pray to be a part of God's purposes for this world. So if you feel comfortable, close your eyes, and we'll read um, Eugene Peterson's translation of Psalm 10 together. Or I'll read it, and you'll pray it into yourselves. God, are you avoiding me? Where... Are you when I need you? The wicked are full of hot air. They are on the trail of the poor. We trip them up, we tangle them up. The wicked are windbags, the swindlers of foul breath. The wicked snub God. Their noses are stuck high in their air, the graffiti is scrawled in the walls. Catch us if you can, God is dead. They care nothing for what you think. If you get in their way, they blow you off. They live, they think, a charmed life. They say, we can't go wrong, this is our lucky year. They carry a mouthful of curses. Their tongues spit venom like snakes. They hide behind ordinary people. They pounce on their victims. They mark the luckless, then wait like a hunter in a blind. When the poor wretch wanders too close, they stab him in the back. The hapless fool is kicked to the ground. The unlucky victim is brutally axed. He thinks God has dumped him. He's sure that God is indifferent to his plight. Time to get up, God. Get moving. The luckless think they're God-forsaken. They wonder why the wicked scorn God and get away with it. Why are the wicked so cocksure? They'll never come up for audit. But you know all about it, the contempt, the abuse. I dare to believe that the luckless will get lucky someday in you. You won't let them down. Orphans won't be orphans forever. Break the wicked right arms. Break all the evil left arms. Search and destroy every sign of crime. God's grace and order wins godlessness loses, the victim's faint pulse picks up. The hearts of the hopeless pump red blood as you put your ear to their lips. Orphans get parents, the homeless get homes, the reign of terror is over, the rule of the gang lords is ended.